0: Thank you. Uh, Wednesday, 31st, 30th, 30th of January 2008. Then, all right, let's have a little prayer and see where God will take us. Oh, Father, thank you. Father, I um, come to you almost speechless because I don't know where to start with what you seem to have been showing me about yourself over the last 24 hours maybe 48 hours but Lord it's inexpressible and full of wonder about who you actually are and who you want to be to your people. Lord I just want to bless you. I ask for clarity that I won't just uh, burble without people understanding what it is I'm trying to convey. I ask that Holy Spirit that you will come and you will open the top of our heads and push something into our minds today that will lodge there that we won't be able to get rid of um, that it will just buzz around like a bee in our bonnets uh, and and it's good and it will cause us to see things from a completely different angle from the other side of the cross that we will see things as you see them Father that you, you will cause any darkness that is over our minds Uh, to just dissolve right now, like the sun dissolves the mist. Father, you would just bring us into what you want to bring us into. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, ostensibly we're looking at the uh, Beatitudes, and we're on week. and last week we looked at criticism and this week we were going to look at its counterpart which is love but in the meantime I've been listening to some stuff and and Anne's got these um, uh, CDs and and they were the permission granted CDs and I finally managed to listen to the man on the end McCollum is his name Mm. and what he was saying was what I knew but it's done something inside me What he was saying was, are you living the wrong side of the cross? Are you striving and struggling to become the new creation that God has already made you? Are you in a constant battle against yourself and not living in resurrection life which is where Christ has placed you? So the the, the revelation that I got was that I am indeed living on the resurrection side of the cross but what I saw was that so many Christians are living the wrong side of the cross because they are still trying to patch up and make over their old nature and, and it says in Romans that uh, you know or Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ that lives in me. We can say that, but it's not a reality, we don't understand it in our hearts. And and in Romans he says, thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, after he's gone on about the whole difficulty of being able to walk in the new. And it's this whole business of reckoning yourselves dead to sin and he says something very interesting because you know I'm, I'm wont to tell the story of the two dogs the black dog and the white dog and it depends which one you feed as to which one um, actually grows and takes the major part and he told the story of it as it comes from from the uh, original probably the Native American Indians And said so there's this old Indian he had these two dogs a black dog and a white dog and people used to come from miles to watch these things fight But the old boy always knew which one was going to win. So someone said to him one day, how do you know which one's going to win? He said, well, it's the one that I feed. And I've always used that as being an example of our old nature versus the new. But the point that he makes is that the old nature is actually dead. It died with Christ on Calvary. What we're left with is the habits, the mindsets, the patterns of thinking. We're not left with the nature itself that is dealt with. We have a new nature. So all the time the enemy can occupy us with struggling and fighting and against ourselves and not actually looking away to Christ, looking away to Jesus for the finished work of the cross. He's actually got us. And we are captive and in bondage to our belief system, which is we've got to fight this thing when the fact of it is we could leapfrog over the cross and be walking towards the Eternal City and reckoning ourselves, that's gone. Am I making myself clear? Mm. It was such... I said to Joyce I've lived it as I could not have explained it. And it explains to me the difference between Christians who seem to be the wrong side of the cross. They're constantly battling with their old nature constantly failing, constantly in defeat, constantly feeling they ought to be doing more, constantly not understanding what God has done. The magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross, I think I'm just beginning to understand. And you cannot articulate it, because he not only forgave our sins, but he delivered us from ourself. And that is the major part. He delivered us from the old man, the old Adam. We are indeed, as it they said, there a new creation. What we get to choose is which we live in. That is all we have. Are we going to be uh, where it says, you know, thanks, be- uh, alive to God, dead to sin, and alive to God? Or are we going to be concentrating on looking back? We still have to bring 1 John 1.9 into the equation because we, we will do things wrong and we do have to say, Father, forgive me, but it is already dealt with. We are dealing uh, with the teleos. It's finished. It's finished. It's not half done. You haven't got a bit more to do. If you strive a bit more, do a bit more Bible study, attend a few more meetings, you know, it'll all happen. What it sets us free to be is who he created us to be. But it does demand one thing, and that is the Lordship of Jesus. Because we can't do it without being under the the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that, because what we'll be trying to do is a makeover on our own nature. So what it requires is the old-fashioned word of consecration. It just requires us every day to do Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. This is going to be the whole thrust of the next baton, I think, because I spent an, a, a long while, on, 10 pages, on the first introduction bit, and it's all really about where you actually are. But it's the old nature which is the nature of rebellion the old habit pattern of rebelling against authorities that old habit pattern that causes us the problems and God spoke a word to me yesterday he said incitement to rebellion is a satanic strategy doesn't waste words does he incitement to rebellion is a satanic strategy so he creeps about Inciting us to rebel. That's what he does. Whispering in your ear, why should you do that? Who do they think they are? Got, got free will, haven't you? Oh, I wouldn't stand for that far with you. Incitement to rebellion. Very interesting. Something else this man pointed out, which I'd never thought of before, is that both Adam and Eve and Satan, when they fell, didn't have an old sin nature all they had was free will and all we have is free will we have a new nature and free will we've got exactly the same equipment a new nature and free will just depends on where you turn the spout of your free will at any given minute it makes for me it makes it just so simple I don't know if it's understandable more understandable to you but it just makes it so easy i'm thinking why not just live in the grace of god (laughs) why not just surrender and live in the grace of god why because satan goes back to saying you're going to lose something it's going to cost you something did he really say (laughs) Sounds to me like you're going to lose out of this one. Anne McGill, um, giving up smoking now for the umpteenth time, but this time it's going to work because her will is aligned with the Holy Spirit's will. And she started to read a book, Secular I think it was, and it said you've got to get rid of the mindset that you're going to lose something when you give up smoking. You are actually going to gain something. And that was it for her. As soon as she could see that she wasn't going to lose, she was going to gain. So I would say to you, every time God asks you for something, you're not going to lose, you're going to gain. But what Satan will say to you is, you're going to lose. It doesn't mean good for you, you know. It's the same old game as he played in the garden. If God asks you for something, give it to him because you're going to gain. Give it to him quick. He's going to multiply. You're never, ever, ever going to lose if you give something to God, ever. give Anything put into his, his hands will be multiplied. But we hang on, don't we, like this, to what we've got, in case. Because why? Because we just don't believe, because there's this little incitement to rebellion and mutiny going on in our minds. I'll get round to this uh, love bit in a minute. And the other thing that this man said that I thought was so absolutely wonderful, I thought, I wish I could think of questions like this. He says, around the throne there are the the four living creatures, full of eyes, and all the time they're saying, holy, 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 holy. And he said to God, excuse me asking this, but don't they get a bit bored? They're saying holy, holy, holy all the time, and falling down and casting their crowns. Don't they get a bit cheesed off with that 24-7? And he said, the Lord showed him that the glory of God is so great. Every time they did a circuit, they saw something different about God. And they went, wow, holy, 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 wow. And the, four, and the 24 elders threw their crowns down. <laughs> and this is what goes on. It's a wow, holy, 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 wow. <laughs> it grabbed me. I thought, that's it. And what has made me think since is God is infinite. We are never, ever going to, he's grinning, never, ever going to understand him at all. Ever. But every day we're going to find out something more that's going to make us go, wow, holy, 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 wow. Mm. I want to live in the wow now. I want to live in the having an experience of God every day that makes me go, wow! Because it is for us. It's like the veil has been over us. Even though we're born again, there's like a satanic veil just been drawn over us. Don't get too excited. I remember the people doing it to me when I was first a Christian. Get so excited about it all. Well, I'm thinking, excited, excited, why can't I get a go-? Just drawing a veil over, just, just be like everybody else. Don't, the day I don't get too excited. That's not good news. That's mediocre news. We have got to have in these days something that is so utterly impossible and amazing and astounding and astonishing that's gonna make the world out there say, yeah What's that then? There is a gospel coming forth in these days, I think. It's going to be the end time gospel. And like, as I said to Richard the other day, I've seen a picture of the bride some time ago and she was just lifting off in her skirt. And underneath her skirt, a, were also little tiny, they look like needles going up underneath. I should leave that one. Needles going up drawing up and I said to the Lord what's that? and he said as the bride gets more glorious she will be drawing people to it. just drawing up under a skirt drawing her so that when she goes there will be a massive um, Mm -hmm. lift off because people will just see how different our lives are we won't be any longer congregating in our little hovels because we all do the same sort of thing and we're all meeting together it's not going to be like that it's going to be as Graham says nobody's going to be safe from a blessing because you're going to want to be praying for people and you're going to have the boldness to actually stretch out your hand and say what do you need right now Mm. and God will give you everything you need the only requirement is surrender to his purposes and the fullness comes in I said to the Lord, this is astonishing what's going on in here, it's in here, it's internal what's going on. And he said, "Uh, I have enlarged you over the last month or six weeks and filled the space with me. Mm -hmm. I thought, yes please. (laughs) The ministry of the Spirit is always one of displacement. He displaces the rubbish with himself get the rubbish out gets himself in there is a place in the spirit that Graham says I understand it now that is marked out for you and you and you and you and you, and you, and you to walk in there is a place that has got your footprints in it and where you walk you will leave water because you're so full of water yourself you're going to leave behind that which will nourish and nurture other people. That is the good news. It's not just... We've had half a gospel. Come to Jesus and have your needs met is is the basic one. Come to Jesus and be forgiven, next step up. But come to Jesus and get rid of your old life. Have a new one on me. That is the gospel, a new life. It is totally new. Those of you who know me know that the old person is dead. That was what we were talking about last week about the patterns of of stuff in your mind, and how I was being bombarded on the Tuesday night the, before of the meeting on the Wednesday of all sorts of old memories that I just didn't want. And eventually, in the bath on the on the Wednesday morning, the Lord said, "That woman doesn't exist. She's dead." And I thought, "That is the answer." And as soon as I said, "She's dead," everything stopped, because that person is dead. The old pattern of thinking doesn't apply. I can't. I can kick a dead horse till I'm dead myself. It, you won't get anything. It's dead. It's as dead as that. So what goes on is that the enemy uses the old thought patterns to trigger us into wrong behaviour. Feeling desperate, going down the tubes, I haven't done enough, I haven't prayed enough, what's enough? And we're not walking in everything that God has got for us. I'm beginning to see what it means to come into my inheritance. I think I've just put my foot on the golden pavements and I can see all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen that does not mean that I'm saying oh I'd like this and that and that it doesn't mean that, it means that anything you ask in my name that I will do it means that if we ask anything according to his will that he will do so that presupposes a very close walk with the Lord in order you can hear what he wants to, to, to have prayed ask me for it, I'll hear him saying sometimes I'm thinking of something, and he's saying, "I want you to ask me for that." And I'm, I'm sort of saying, "Well, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. Well, will you just ask me for it, please? Get on with it." And I, oh, okay, then, well, I'll, I'll you know what, because <laughs> he wants to do it, and it's his chosen way. Is that we should seek him for what he wants to do, ask him, and see it happen. It's a way to get your prayers answered 100% all the time. So, as we were saying, really get your children praying for Robin. You're going to lay a foundation for them for their later years where they will know and they will learn to go to God first, ask him and pray for what they want. Remember the Christmas. They wanted him home. They prayed him home. Came home. God hears the prayers of the children. He can move through them. Thank you. Right, so last week we looked at criticism, I just run through it, we defined attitudes. An attitude was a pattern of thinking developed over a number of years about a particular thing or situation where we consistently think the same way. And the patterns were so deeply ingrained in our hearts that we hardly noticed them. And they often started very early in life, so much so that we got used to reacting in a certain way that our choices, become automatic or non-existent and in time we actually cease to see the fact that we have a choice. So we choose our attitudes, we decided. And attitude determined not only altitude but outcome. And we looked at what William Barclay said and thought, that's a bit high, I cannot attain to it. No matter what any man does to me, I will never seek to do harm to him. I will never set out for revenge. I will always seek nothing. This highest good goes completely against all our old way of looking at things our old thinking retaliation, revenge, give them a piece of their mind, it's my rights but I will never seek to do any harm, never set out for revenge will always seek nothing but his highest good and it is a decision it's a deliberate decision that we make and we looked at what that was saying was that love actually seeks the best for the object that is loved and sometimes that will mean correction in just in the same way as you correct your children for their good love never criticizes it never seeks its own it seeks the best for the object that is loved and correction is not rejection so we looked at uh, Miriam and Aaron who made some wrong choices and Miriam ended up with leprosy because of her criticism of Moses and on the surface the criticism was of the new wife but underlying it was has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses has he not spoken through us as well what about us we saw a domestic scene there and that the issue of the heart is the heart of the issue so now we're going to look at replacing there we go you see Life in the spirit is about displacement or replacement, having another thought. So last week we looked at criticism and this week we're going to explore the antidote which is love. We're so familiar with these passages but I just want them to sink down deep into our ears. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy, love does not parade itself, love is not puffed up, love does not behave rudely, love does not seek its own, love is not provoked, love thinks no evil, love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So maybe we're beginning to see that love is not what we have thought before or what we're used to. Because we're beginning to see that there are types of love. And our type of love is our uh, Eros boy, which seeks to possess, acquire and control. And on the surface that may sound pretty hard but if you break it down and look at why you make your choices within relationships you will often see that it's self-referential. You want it for what you will get out of it rather than what is good for them. Which is why I think it's in Hebrews uh, the Lord says that we have parents who um, have rebuked us and chastened us uh, for their good. Like, turn that television off, it's getting on my pip. That's an Eros decision. Turn that television off, it's doing you no good. Is an Agape decision. Because it's for the good of the object. It's not for your comfort. And he says, doesn't he, that... Uh, we'll have a little quick look at it. Somewhere around Hebrews 13, is it? Russell Russell 12 he's talking about the uh, sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us as as usual talking about running the race with endurance don't like words like that Uh, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, before you start complaining. And he says, uh, If you endure chastening, verse 7, God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live?" We're looking about the whole question of this at the next baton, about being in submission and subjection to uh, God, um, authorities, one another, whole issue that uh, if we've got a rebellion in us it'll tickle it nicely they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness so we can see there that we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect well some of us did um, shall we not much more readily live in subjection to the father of spirits and live One of the things that's come into my mind just now is the thing that God made so clear to me yesterday in Galatians. It says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. I'm not sure where it is. He's talking about Hagar and how much I felt that when we we're on the wrong side of the cross, we are under law because we are so much trying to get it right. And if you are trying to get it right, whatever it is, you're placing yourself under the law because you can't get it right. Only in Christ can you get it right. We all stumble and fall. It's not about stumbling and falling. It's about recognising the grace of God and moving and living in that. Grace is a huge place to be moving in. But when you're under law, you will be trying to get it right. And I can tell you this now, you will not be happy and you will be resentful about the fact that you've got to even try. So what will build up in your heart will be resentment towards God, because you perceive he is a hard taskmaster, but you need to cast out the bondwoman and her son, because Hagar was the bondwoman, Sarah was the one that had the true child. And we're talking about the law and grace. I can't see it. It's in Galatians here somewhere. (coughs) Um, I'll start with Galatians 4.21. Law and grace, it says in my Bible, cannot coexist. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman was born through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren, you who didn't bear. Break forth and shout, you who didn't travail." For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman but of the free. And he's making a likeness here between be- which side of the cross you're on. Are you going to walk in le- legalism and put a yoke and a rod on yourself? Or are you going to walk in the freedom of resurrection life? where well, you will make mistakes. You're free to make mistakes. Because you've chosen to believe what he says about you. You are the redeemed of the Lord. You've stepped over from Egypt into the promised land you've moved from that place of bondage to yourself, to your old nature, into the freedom of the promised land, the land of promises so you're casting out the bondwoman. Am am I making myself clear? it was so clear to me that that it was just like written in letters of gold and then he goes on to talk about the works of the flesh you know, God has given us everything. It says in two Peter. He's given us everything that we might walk in the divinity. He's bringing forth many sons. We are Jesus is our brother. We are heirs of the promise, and we are walking in our inheritance if we cross over and walk in resurrection life. That is part of our inheritance. I've just, Anne and I have talked about this before, what is the inheritance? It's walking in resurrection life. Someone's got to die for you to get an inheritance, Jesus died, we get the inheritance. Mm -hmm. Everything that is in heaven is his and it's there for ours. But that does not make us, as I said, graspers, it makes us takers of that which we need. It is there. It's no longer a case of pleading for provision, it is looking for the provision in the place where you stand on the road. Father, I know you, there's a provision there's a problem, the other side of it is a provision. Can I see the provision please? You just stand still because of the relationship. No father would want their children going next door but one to the parents there to get their needs met. But that is what we so often do. We do not go to our Heavenly Father to get our needs met. We go to the bloke next door, which is the way the world. So he's bringing about circumstances, like Robin love his art, to get him isolated with God so that there's only one place he can go. You're my all-sufficiency. That is when we learn that God is our all-sufficiency. That is when we learn that he will come through for us. Uh, it's not a bad matter of, of, of somehow squeezing out enough faith which people have put on us from time to time. Scripture says, the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A lot of translations say in the Son of God, no, no, no. If it's Jesus' life that is coming through me, it's his faith, not mine otherwise I am trying to squeeze faith out the faith we are given is to believe but by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves it's a gift of God he gave us enough faith to believe and from then on it's the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in us and he's saying thumbs up I'm before the Father asking for you in this situation I'm your advocate it's done, done deal. It comes back to that relationship, you've got to walk closer and closer with the Holy Spirit who actually loves to show you about Jesus. I mean, maybe next week I'll say to you I've got that wrong, you know, about the faith, it being the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the way the scripture reads to me, and that's the way it's always hooked into me. Because it says it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So if it's Christ that's living in me, I'm not working on my faith, am I? I'm working on his. Because he's the one that's alive in me. So death works in me, but life in you. Because I'm dying daily in order that life will come through. Holy Spirit says to me, I've made room. In other words, more of you's died, Beryl, brilliant. More room for me, brilliant. Be at home, stretch out, take as much as you like. Good. So love is not what we've thought or what we used to. It's not this thing, this horrible Eros thing. Not a good word because we've always associated Eros with sexual love. But in fact it's just anything that is self-referential. Anything that is other than the self-giving love of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father when he gave Jesus to us. So... Last week we saw there were two types of criticism, destructive and constructive. And the destructive type is based on our perception. What we think about perceived thoughts of someone with no view to their best interests. Sort of, why don't they do things the way I do? Why can't they be more careful? Can't they see? Incidentally, no they can't. If they could, they wouldn't. So we are dwelling on the perceived faults of another, with no view to their good. And I wrote then, we are feeding the black dog, and he's lapping it up. But if we consider that that black dog is dead, we can't feed him with anything, so we've just got to stop thinking like that, it's no good putting a bowl down, you're not going to eat it. If we were thinking these things with a view to correcting what we perceived as wrong, like teaching them to do something, that would be constructive, not destructive. So when we come into Christianity, we come into a new kind of loving. Essentially, Agape is totally the opposite of Eros. Eros is self-referential, self-serving, self-preserving, focused on how it affects me and whether or not it will fill my need. And it's just useful to use the term Eros to identify this type of love, but you won't find it in the Bible. Again, a dictionary definition is useful. I found my dictionary on my laptop very useful. Very interesting stuff. This came from it. Eros, Greek god of love, the god of love in ancient Greece. Roman equivalent, Cupid. What price Valentine's Day? Eros, sexual love, sexual love or desire. Psychology, this is the third one. Instinct for self-preservation. Instinct for self-preservation. In psychoanalytic theory, the instincts for self-preservation, pleasure and procreation considered as a group. The latter sums it up nicely. Self-preservation, pleasure and procreation. Sexual love. Eros. Agape or Agape. Non-sexual love. Love that is wholly selfless and spiritual. This again was from the uh, Encarta uh, dictionary on my laptop. Number two, Christianity, Christian love, selfless love felt by Christians for their fellow human beings. I thought, I wish. (laughs) 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 And number three, Christianity, Christian communal meal, a communal meal held by a Christian community, especially in early Christian times, in commemoration of the Last Supper. So they're talking about the love feast the only attitude big enough to replace a critical attitude is an attitude of love and that love chapter in Corinthians is quite amazing this church had a lot going for it, it was moving in the go- gifts, it had good solid doctrine but the thing it apparently lacked was love the concept of love in this world is terribly distorted and these distortions affect the way we hear God's word and I, We seem to fall into two distinct camps regarding the idea of the love of God. Either he's seen as a Father Christmas who benevolently turns a blind eye to everything once you're a Christian, it's okay, Grace will cover it, or we're stuck in the schoolmaster mode. And by that, I mean we think he's got a big stick behind his back to whack us with if we do anything out of line. Neither of these are a true representation of the love of God or the love he wants to extend to both our brothers and sisters in Christ and the unbeliever. If you don't love the person you're trying to reach, you could have an A plus in faith and still fail to reach them. The kind of love Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 13 is better felt than tell, as Peter Stott would say. We have to experience it for ourselves before we can begin to approach others. We have the greatest message of love in the universe, but we're not making the difference we want to make because the love isn't there. Programs and missions won't cut it, neither will our Eros love. The trouble with Eros is its propensity for the feel good factor. How often? when we do something for someone we feel so good about ourselves a good warm fuzzy here self-satisfaction feel good two opposite camps james macdonald says in uh, his book the idea somewhere on the one hand is radical fundamentalism that eff- emphasizes all truth and is legalistic and screaming this is what the l- Word of God says, boy. You can see him, can't you? What the Word of God says, laddie. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus did. On the other hand, we have a liberal Christianity that says, bag the Bible, we have Jesus. We have his heart for the hurting and we're going out to make a difference in this world. Jesus didn't do it that way either. Neither of those is what Christ intended. Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. Interestingly, he goes on to say, it's not about balancing truth and love. We can't replace criticism with a tightrope walk between truth and love, which is what some of us try to do. We need a paradigm shift. You know, that's my picture of the lady again. It's coming a lot, that one. It's not truth versus love. Truth is part of the biblical definition of love. Love can only be fired up by what is true and what is right majors not minors, I've headed the next bit up. There comes a time in every relationship when issues are serious. Failure to take action will produce big fallout. In those instances love does not sit passively by saying I love him or her so much I can't upset him or her. Love takes action on things that are needful. God may be prompting you to say something say it and leave the consequences to him. 1 Corinthians 13 says love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. We have to tell the truth in love. Love cannot sit happily by and do nothing when it sees iniquity or foolishness. Something has to be said for their own good. So how do we determine if we need to step in and say something? Firstly of course we ask the Lord Numero uno, back we come to the close relationship, the close walk. We cannot get away with it in these days of having a scrappy walk with God. We have to be in constant communion with Him. And it's a discipline, because the Holy Spirit wants to be in constant communion. I spoke to someone on Sunday, and um, I was moved to say, you know, how about your constant connection with the Holy Spirit? Oh, well, uh, 20 minutes uh, before I run out and get the train, and I said, and then you leave him in the kitchen for the rest of the day, is that right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I just got on with my day, and I... Uh, and of course, he ran into big problems. Problems at work, problems, problems, problems. I said, do you not realise that he's a strategist? Because this man is, is works in strategies. And I said, he's a strategist. If you, if you ask him, he will show you the strategy. Uh, you know, he needs to go with you. He is with you, but if you don't ask him, you get into all sorts of pickles. And uh, well, it's a bit scary what I see in the body. But God is—I I, um, I haven't asked him why He's showing it me. Um, really, it's a bit scary what I see. I mean, these leaders—scrappy relationship with God—been right through the charism- not the charismatic movement, the renewal movement been in on all of that Um, for sure the fault is not God's for sure so somewhere or other the outpouring of Toronto in places I'm not going to say it's everywhere has missed its target and that's something to do with the receptors I don't know what it is but I suspect what it is is we received it in our Eros Feel good, feel good. Give me more. I want to feel that again. Ooh, mm-hmm. want that sensation. Oh, I want to Ooh, and I want to Ah, oh, oh, I want all this. It's actually got no lasting. Nothing has gone into their spirit. Mm-hmm. It's been all sensation, mm-hmm. and they have not realised that oohing and ahhing and nothing and butting has not done anything in their deepest. Mm-hmm. Or if it has, they have not fed it and watered it and looked after it and nurtured it and and developed. Their relationship with the Holy Spirit, and so the outpouring has almost been spilled on the ground. What I'm thinking, as uh, uh, as um, saying this, is you remember in the Old Testament where there was a line of, um, of brothers, and the brothers kept dying. The, 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 and one brother, when he had intercourse with the with the woman, spilled his semen on the ground. And that was the picture I was getting. It's like the seed has been spilt. Mm -hmm. It's been wasted. Because we've never been taught to move in agape. We've never been taught to hear from God. We've never been taught to walk, walk closely with him. And so when he moves in power on us, we're all up for the sensation. And it's gone through our fingers. So because he loves us he's doing something completely different. That's what the paradigm shift is. It's almost like he's sweeping the leadership out of the way to get at the sheep. Because the leadership are in the way of his actually being able to get to the sheep. So you get prophecies like the Dust Bowl that said that God is stirring everything up and things are happening and difficulties and circumstances are being placed uh, before the body of Christ that are actually bringing them face to face with him and they're him giving them the thumbs up and a big big cheesy grin as Graham would say. But we have to be pressed to that place of extremity in order to see it because we've been running away from it for so long seeking the feel good, the yummy the more, 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 have another conference, get a bit more, have another con- This is what so concerned me about having conferences, and I, I wrestled with it. I said, I do not want to be just another conference, Lord. I just don't want to be just more of, you know, come in and... When's the next one? That feeds no one. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that I'm going to be going to uh, oh, Carrotty Wood this year. Um, I'm not. I haven't been asked. But I wouldn't go if I was. Because I can get no continuity there. And I will not go in, give them an injection in the backside and say, there you are, you're all right for another 12 months. I just won't do it. <laughs> I just saw that picture. That's all. Yeah. I'm left-handed too. Have that. Uh, I'm I just not going to do it anymore. Either I'm going to build... Because, because I know that I'm a building prophet. I know that I want to build. Um, and I'll build with burnt stones because Nehemiah did. Uh, stones that have been damaged, I can I can clean them off and build with those just the same as they're good stones. Because out of what they've gone through, they will learn. Uh, and they will see the hand of God in it. So frequently people come to me and the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and people are doing this and people are doing that and I'm saying, no, over there is God. And they're blaming this one and blaming that one and blaming this. Just lift your eyes up round about and see. Anyway, I've gone right off myself there. So that's what I was saying there was, ask the Lord number one. When it's something you see, have I got to say it or pray it? someone's come to me that uh, they've had something for years and years and years they've gone everywhere to see this thing fulfilled and nowhere have they seen it and finally in desperation I said uh, do you think you were supposed to say it or pray at this thing ah they've gone away they come back and they were peaceful and I thought I think we've just hit it God gave you a revelation, you were not meant to go looking for something, you were meant to pray it. So we need to ask, am I to say this or pray it? So question number one, is this critical? If the person you love is on a hide into nowhere, step in, risk it and lovingly point it out. Criticism may result otherwise. Sideswipes and snide remarks are not actually addressing the issue but they come out of your hurt and pain and perceptions. Question number two. Is the problem long-standing? Do you repeatedly see the person close to you doing the same thing over and over again? The Song of Solomon 2.15. Little foxes spoil the vines. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe they are consistently critical. Whatever A gentle word of, is it possible you have a problem here, is loving them. You can be sure that if they have got a problem they'll probably turn on you because the truth, when it is first heard, as we've discovered before, is usually negative. But that mustn't stop you from gently and kindly speaking to them about it for the right reason. The opposite, you see, would be criticising them, in your mind, if nothing else, which would lead to a feeling of superiority, because you're not like that. So, Question 3. How close are you to the situation? There are some things we can live with in our neighbors that we can't live with in our spouse or our children. When you love this way be prepared because the person may not appreciate you at first. Be sure you're moving out because the Lord has nudged you not because it's just got on your pip once too often. So if the person responds angrily, and they well may, we usually do when our feet are trodden on, be sure that you move on to the next phase of love. Don't be provoked. You may well have been injured by the person's sin or foolishness, but that is not going to be provoked in you. Love keeps no record of wrong either, remember? So we can go through this. <laughs> love person chicken ticking them off. Wives who have something difficult to tell their husbands must get their hearts right first so that they're not just venting hurt feelings on their husbands. They're actually speaking for the good of the husband and not to point out some wrongdoing to him. What then are minors? Those were majors. What about the little ones, the minors, the things that come into this category which is the one where love covers with acceptance and these are such things as, well I would do it this way I really prefer this. I don't like that music in church. These are minors. DQ. Cover it with love and acceptance. Musical preferences, personality differences, cultural differences are minor if issues. They may pip you off, but Satan spe- specialises in making mountains out of mole hills. These are personal preferences. And the only way to deal with them is to die quietly. Look at it, is there anything here of eternal value? We need to separate the wheat from the chaff in our thinking. What difference is this going to make in the eternal scheme of things if they squeeze the toothpaste in the middle or at the end? That's not going to affect their eternal reward. It's a minor, so you just keep quiet about it. If, on the other hand, you see them ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit, diving headfirst into something that's going to have eternal consequences, speak out lovingly. I trust you can can see the difference. What about the whole issue of the transformation from Eros to Agape? Could we make a commitment to each other like this and mean it? You will never knowingly suffer at my hands. I will never say anything or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I will always in every circumstance seek to help and support you. If you are down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. If you need something and I have it, I'll share it with you. If I need to, I'll give it to you. No matter what I find out about you, no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change, and there's nothing you can do about it. We can manage it on our good days, but it's questionable on our bad days, yes? What about this one, which is this one here? No matter what anyone does to me, I'll never seek anything but his highest good. That first one was a church leader in America somewhere. And that was a covenant that they made with each other. And I said to Joyce, the trouble is make it a covenant like that is the very next day you find you can't do it. Because you're trying to do it out of your eros, not your agape. Mm. Uh, trying to squeeze that sort of covenant out of people, I think, is so unkind. Um, because you can't do it in your natural man. It sounds very noble and very good. Like a lot of things the Church wants to do, the words sound nice. But you can't back it up. You can't do it. Only God can do something like that. All you can do is, as Graham says, say, this is what I can be for you right now in this relationship. We need to rewrite ourselves and our relationships quite frequently. We need to to sit down and think about, well, who am I becoming? Because we are becoming. We're becoming and we're changing. We're becoming more like Christ every day because what you behold you will become. And so we're becoming more like him. So I'm not what I was last week. I'm different. So therefore how I relate to people will be different. This week I can probably offer more of myself than I could last week. If you see what I mean. We have to be careful. This is like a vow. And I, and I, I found it. He thought it was so commendable in the book. You'll read it if you read the book. Oh, church of about 3,000 and I thought, yeah, numbers, numbers but never mind. Before we can make the transition we have to ask, am I a loving person? But do I love with my love or the love of God? If you don't know, just ask the Holy Spirit to show you, whose love am I operating in? That is a really good question whose love am I operating in? Is this my natural love here or is this you? I know when it's the love of God I have to say operating through me because he will cause me to love the totally unlovable. He'll cause me to love the people who are so difficult that in the natural you just say, well, for goodness sake, that's about the tail end of it, you know, instead of which the love of God kicks in. So you can you can get to see which love you're moving in, your old love, your, your Eros or your Agape. And am I choosing love over criticism moment by moment? D.L. Moody wrote this, I took up that word love. I do not know how many weeks I spent in studying the passages in which it occurs, till at last I could not help loving people. I had been feeding on love so long I was anxious to do everybody good I came into contact with. I got full of it. It ran out of my fingers. If you take up the subject of love in the Bible, you will get so full of it that all you have to do is open your lips and the flood of the love of God will flow out. I'd like some of that, wouldn't you? So I've got a prayer here. You can say Amen if you want to. Father help me. Forgive my negative, critical, fault-finding ways. Give me a heart to love people and bear with them. Enable me to speak the truth when it's needed, whatever the cost. Give me a heart to accept others as you accept me. Give me mercy as you have poured out your mercy on me. I want to be filled with your agape love, but I find myself full of something quite the opposite. Father, please work on me until you have transformed my eros into your agape. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.